0: I love the vision of reaching the nations next door. This is a theme that's very exciting to me uh, as um, it's one of the reasons I moved to Boston and God has allowed us as a church, we're uh, about 59% white and 41% other ethnicities uh, and those look a little bit like the United Nations, uh, which is awesome. Uh, But I love that that God has allowed us to to be a part of an amazing city um, and to, to start a church that is seeing people from the nations reached. Uh, it was nine years ago uh, this week, actually, I think it was, it'll be Wednesday, that my wife and I um, left um, Kentucky to move to, to Boston. Uh, it seems uh, in some ways like yesterday, and in some ways it seems like 20 years ago that we did it. But Um, we had in kentucky i had a church that wasn't unlike south shore baptist church it was called springfield baptist church but um it was established church i led it for nine years and uh, god had blessed in some some beautiful ways Uh, we had uh, a house there we had an acre of land (laughs) that backed up to a state park golf course Uh, don't be impressed it it costs like one-tenth of what it would cost here so um but but, you know, we had that. We had family in Louisville and Lexington area. Uh, her family was about six or seven hours away in North Carolina. Mine was in Virginia. It was nearby. And so we had all of these reasons to stay. I had uh, even to stay sort of in a comfort zone. I was uh, recruited to by some churches that were a little larger, I guess a little more prestigious than, than Springfield was. And um, I also had the opportunity to become a professor at a local growing Baptist college that was uh, really... Uh, thriving at the time, and yet s- something caused me and my family to pack up, move to Boston, where we had no church, no friends, really, no family, um, really, other than my, a little bit of extended family up in the Andover area, um, but, but we moved, and, I, and to, to, to get at why, I think it's, the it's going to be the theme for today's message, but I think lays the groundwork for your whole uh, conference, your whole uh, focus is that mission is something, is, is who you are, it's not what you do. It's not an activity that you add on to your life as a Christian. Mission is fundamental to being a Christian, in fact. Um, and we came to see it that way. It's something foundational to the very identity. And in fact, a Christian life, literally everything you do is part of that mission. Um, ultimately of glorifying God, but also of taking the gospel. The, uh, the church I pastored, Springfield Baptist in Kentucky, was existed because of mission, just like uh, South Shore Baptist Church exists today, and if you're a Christian, you're a Christian because mission existed prior to you being here. And so the question then is, is for us is, do we step into that and own that as part of our own identity um, as Christians, or is it something we see as a separate activity? Uh, the gospel sends us out to declare the gospel— those who have experienced grace declare grace and live that out in the world around us and we're going to be looking at acts chapter 1 so I encourage you to open your bible if you haven't already done so we're going to be looking at acts chapter 1 and really the idea of mission is who we who we are it's not something we do mission is who we are not something we simply do the church exists because of mission and for mission That means every Christian in the church exists because of mission and for mission. i ask the question sometimes of of my own people, uh, my own church, and even when I speak at conferences like this, ultimately you have to answer the question, does the mission terminate on you? In other words, has the gospel been going forth from nation to nation, from person to person, around the globe, and then it just stops with you? Now, I'm not saying, like, you can give money. I think you can give money to missions. That's easy in some ways, right? Write a check. It doesn't involve, it takes me time to write a check. It doesn't involve me. But will you personally be involved in the mission where God put you? Because I'm convinced that you are as much a part of God's mission in Hingham as anyone who goes to the global, anywhere in the globe. In other words, God didn't end up, you didn't end up here accidentally. You're here because God has you here. We're going to see, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I don't know how you guys roll here, but when i at City on a hill, I, I say this is the word of the Lord when I'm done, and ask our people to say thanks be to God. So I would love if you'd join me in that. <clears throat> in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was, uh, was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. are to Israel, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, unto the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the Word of the Lord. thanks be to god let's let 's pray <clears throat> father we 're grateful for your word this morning that speaks louder and clearer and with more power than I ever could and so uh, now, Lord, as we look at mission and as we uh, reflect on your, your word, would you apply it to our lives? Would you speak in ways that uh, cause us to step into faith and into obedience, Lord, for your glory and for our joy, we pray, amen. Keep your Bible open, because um, we'll be looking at verses around in, in, in that section, but also some other verses in Acts. Uh, but you can think of Acts as Luke part two. So Luke was, uh, back then they wrote, they wrote on scrolls and Luke is an entire scroll and when Luke came around to wanting to write the rest of the story, uh, he took another scroll and started and, and you could see it as a very clear segment. Luke uh, 24 ends with Jesus giving the great commission to them. He says, go and, and, and preach the gospel, preach the forgiveness of sins to all the nations um, and, and and then he says, uh, Acts chapter 1 begins, and he's with them, and then he, has, he gives them the mission again, and ascends into heaven. And so Luke is a continuation, and, and what you could, you could look at is really that the gospel of Luke is the story of the life of Christ, but then the book of Acts is really the story of the, the, the early church, the life of the early church, or you could even say the works of the Holy Spirit, because the early church went from 120 believers to thousands and thousands of believers. And even to, to, as, a, as a missional reflection, and I did this as part of my PhD program, studied how the, the gospel went from 120 believers in Acts 1 to, to literally spread across the Roman Empire. In that time, by the third century, the, the Roman Empire was roughly 75 million people on three continents and it's believed by the time that Constantine declared Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire that as high as 90% of the people in cities were Christians. How does that happen? How does it happen to, in a, in a, to a sect of Judaism, which is what it was labeled early on, and, and to people who, uh, to a movement that was almost exterminated uh, by persecution? Well, it went because the mission was carried out by the, by the power of the gospel. And wh- what we're going to see here is the purpose, the power, the program, the problems, and some practical steps. Now, I don't alliterate a lot, but it just worked today. So I'm going to throw those out there. The, power, the purpose, the power, the program, the problems, and some practical steps to end with. So let's talk about the purpose in the mission. And this is really in Acts 1-8. We're going to hone in on this for the first few points. But uh, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You're going to go tell others about me. You've experienced me. You've experienced the power of the gospel, my, my death on the cross for your sin, my, my rising from the grave, giving you new life. So now where you go, when you, tell, when you meet people, you're going to tell them about me. You're going to declare uh, the message uh, to those that, that God has put you in the middle of. And the church is a central part of that. Being a part of the church is being a part of a missions organization. And I realize if you grew up in church like I did, we used to do these uh, mission drives when I was a kid, I'll, I'll never forget them, where we'd have like a, a, a um, this big um, thing put up on the wall that had, the na- had like a map of the world and we had lights and we'd have like a fundraising goal and as you, know, you reach certain increments, you'd light up lights of the world. And, uh, and I, so I lived in that context as a kid and that and, and while that is very true part of the problem was i missed that i was part of that i thought it was about giving money i thought it was about the missionaries going to foreign nations god put didn't put you here accidentally to be a witness for him he put you here just as much i believe unless you are being disobedient to god you're here just as much on purpose as a per- person who goes to bangladesh for example um around sitting on a Hill, we use the language, we are here to help our friends and neighbors find and follow Jesus. That's a a reminder for us that we're not here simply to to do life, if you will. We are here because we are on mission. We mistake it in our culture. Your purpose, if you're an engineer, is not to be an engineer. You should be a good engineer, but it's not your purpose because one day you'll retire from being an engineer. And if it's your purpose... Then you will have a major crisis. But God didn't make you to have the purpose of being an engineer. He made you with the purpose of taking His name. He has called you to be on mission as an engineer. If you're a student, you're a student not simply to get an education, you have a bigger purpose in that it is to take the gospel in your, in your program. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you are to take the gospel with the other moms in the community, with those in the doctor's office. You're to take the gospel with you, to be a witness to what Christ has done for you. What happens if you achieve all of your dreams in life vocationally? You, you, you become the top of your field, the most successful, you have the most money, you're, you're the most respected and 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 maybe even in the community you're just a really respected person but all along the way you never led one person to jesus all along the way the, the, the most people think about you is that he or she is a great person but they don't know about your faith they don't know that the gospel is what is at the center of your heart and life how terrible would it be for a Christian to live their life and, to be, and have such an influence because they were so good at their jobs and yet to never leverage one bit of that influence for the kingdom of God. To think that it's for them to simply succeed. We are called to be witnesses. That is the purpose. And as a Christian, you are no less called than a missionary we send to a foreign nation. So we see the purpose is to be witnesses. Secondly, we see the power. And this is the good news. Because most people I talk to, most Christians I talk to are like, well, I just don't feel like I'm really great at this. I'm, I, I just don't feel adequate for this. I just, I'm not sure what to say. I don't know how people react. I'm, I feel powerless is what they're saying. That's good because you are not supposed to be powerful yourself. Being a witness is not about how awesome you are. Can we get over that? It's not. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He didn't go, hey, you're awesome. I'm going to throw in a little dash of the Trinity for you. No, he's like, you're going to need this because you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel afraid. You're not going to know what to say at times. You're going to be intimidated. You're not, you're, you're, just, you're, you're not going to step into it. You need the power of, the, of, he says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit comes down right after they said that in, a, in an awesome way. I love it. Literally thousands of, of people are reached by the gospel um, as in Acts two, and right after this happened, um, I want you to you can flip over to Acts two verse forty one. You see what happens in the context of the church and how it's spilling over into the community around it. Acts chapter two verse forty one. It says. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, what's awesome here is the church was being the church, and day by day people were being added. Now, how does that happen? That happens because the church was on mission. People were telling their neighbors and coworkers and friends, and they were inviting them into this context. Hey, come eat a meal with us. Come hang out with us. And, and I need to tell you what this Jesus has done for me. People were living out on mission. And throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament, the Spirit's presence and power are always tied to mission. Anywhere you see the Spirit showing up, it's not simply God showing off. It is always to point people to, missions, uh, to the mission. One of the marks of the people of God living on mission is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And I would ask you personally, how would you describe the Spirit's activity in your own life? Do you feel empowered? Do you feel the presence of the Spirit in your life? And I would suggest that it might be, I don't always say it's always, but it might be that you're not feeling it because you're not stepping out on mission. You're not risking anything. You're not stepping out in faith uh, to to engage those around you with the gospel. The Spirit's power is always given for Jesus' mission and given to Jesus' people for that purpose. And And I think we forget how powerful the Spirit is. The the same Spirit that's given to us is the Spirit that gave us life. That if you know that your own heart was dead, you weren't weren't sick, you were dead at the bottom of a grave, and the Spirit gave you life, and it gave you new eyes to see, and it gave you a new purpose and and, an eternal life with God. And if that same Spirit is in you to give you life, then why do we doubt that it can empower us to go help someone else experience that? One of the problems with us thinking about a missions conference and, is, is that, and, and I love that we gather in this building together, but I would argue mission only happens a fraction in this building when the church is together. We use the language at our church of the church gathered and the church scattered. The church is gathered on Sundays for worship. And there, is, there are people, you're here today just checking out Christianity, checking out Jesus. That's great, and we're glad you're here, but this church, tomorrow, at this time, spread around this city, you're going to have a lot more people that don't know Jesus around you than you do right now. Right? Unless you happen to work at the church. And so... What I, I usually th- like to throw up a picture of our uh, community groups at this point on our, uh, on our screen when I talk to our people and just say, we have 22 community groups that meet around the city. We don't have a building. We don't have space to have like, Sunday school or anything like that. So we, we have community groups. And these are spattered all over the city. And I go, this is where we are this week. But this is just our groups. I wish I could picture where everyone would be. But God knows where you're going to be tomorrow. And guess what? He sent you there and he gave you the power to be there on mission. I know you're thinking, well, you don't know my workplace. But God does. My boss is a jerk. I know. Look, God saved you. Certainly he could save him or her, right? (laughs) I I think we forget that the the power is not just for us to gather. It's for us as we go out throughout this week. So we have the power. Thirdly here, we have the program. The program. Jesus says, the program is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He rolled out this program for for us. This is the church's marching orders, if you will. This is what it's going to look like in mission. And you can actually outline the book of Acts to fulfill this. It's awesome. The first, you know, few chapters are in Jerusalem, and then the next few chapters spread into Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the book of Acts is extending around the rest of the Roman Empire. And then, of course, we know beyond then, even with the Ethiopian eunuch becoming a Christian, that the gospel went to Africa, uh, you know, and and hit Ethiopia and other countries. But what I missed, and I have to say this, growing up in church and being a part of even going through seminary, getting a master's degree, when I got my master's degree, I missed that the entire Bible is about the mission of God. I didn't understand that from Abraham, when God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you, that you can tie a thread from that all the way to the book of Revelation where all the nations are gathered before God and worshiping the Lamb. There's a thread in scripture that God says, my purpose, my mission in this world is to declare, is to to create a family for myself from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth through through the life, death, and resurrection of my son Jesus. That's his mission. At the top of God's to-do list when he gets up in the morning is my mission. Therefore, at the top of our list above succeeding in our job, above even our family, should be the mission of God. Because it consumes everything else. The entire Bible is a mission text. Great professor, one of the world-renowned New Testament scholars, N.T. Wright. I don't agree with everything he said, but uh, he, in his uh, book, The New Testament and the People of God, said this. He goes, Matthew's uh, Jesus instructs his disciples to make disciples and baptize in all the world. Luke's Jesus commissions his followers to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And John's Jesus says, as the father sent me, so I send you. The story of Acts is the story, or rather a story, of early Christian mission. And the letters of Paul confirmed that not only he, but a good many other Christians believed it was their business to travel around the known world telling people that there was another king Uh, This Jesus world mission is thus the first and most obvious feature of early Christian praxis It was the mark of a Christian One of one of the marks of a Christian outside of faith in Jesus and, And when you looked at their behavior was that they took that message to others that they carried out that mission So what does that mean then? It means if you're not stepping out on mission and you're not living on that mission, you're missing part of the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is a God who sent his son for you. And now that son sent you to others. And who are you or I to stop that? To slow that mission down because we doubt or we struggle. You know, I, I argue that... Um, if you look at the Great Commission where Jesus said, um, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations, you remember the very last phrase, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Anybody claim that last phrase at times? Okay, I'm the only one. I've claimed it a few times in my life. Oh God, thank you. Lo, you're with me always, even unto the ends of the earth, you know, and, and I've claimed that. But what I forget is it's tied to the mission, Jesus isn't like, hey, I'm just with you wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do. It's like, no, as you're going in life making disciples, I'm with you. My power is with you. The Holy Spirit's power and the presence of Jesus with you is always for the purpose of taking the mission. And I love that this has been going on. So you're, you, you, We're not new at this. This is a family tradition. I don't know if you have family traditions. Mine has some um, but, but this is a family tradition, mission, carrying out the mission. You're here because of it. And so as you step into it, you're stepping into a long line in your life. In fact, today, Jesus' church, I haven't had anybody ever refute this, including you know, some, of my, some of my folks at Harvard and MIT and all that. I, I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody to push back. But I'm convinced that the church is the largest, most diverse movement of humanity the earth has ever seen. It is. If, if you were to have a hundred people in this, on this stage, across this stage, who represented Christianity around the world, it would not be a white group. It would not be a black group. It would not be an Asian group or a Latina group. It would be an awesome, beautiful montage, a mosaic of, of people across the earth. Because Christianity right now is going forth in ways... The, the fastest-growing national church in the world is in Iran. The second-fastest-growing national evangelical church that is in a nation is Afghanistan. I lo- God's got a sense of humor in that, doesn't he? He's like, oh, yeah, the rest of the world's really having a problem with Iran. I'm going to fix that. <laughs> Give me 25, 30 years, you know? I mean, we all have heard about China and what's happened in China. It's happened in parts of India as well. God's doing amazing things over there. And we get to be a part of that. I don't think we're supposed to sit on the sidelines and send cash, okay? I'm not against that. Let's support them. But we're part of the mission too. Has anybody had, does anyone know any lost people? Any neighbors or friends that don't know Jesus? Okay, one, five of you do. You should. All right, the rest of you go hang out with these people because they have friends that don't know Jesus. It was one of the biggest shocks to me when I moved to Boston. Was was mo- most of the people in City on a Hill do not have a friend or neighbor or coworker that knows Jesus. There's there's no one in their program that's a Christian. Maybe after a year they find another one, right? But like there's no there's nobody in the office that's a Christian. So God has literally put you in the middle of a mission field, and He's invited you to be a part of this mission. And the beautiful thing is he's brought the nations right to our back door, hasn't he? He's brought the nations right to our back door. Boston is the, the most, um, it, it's one of the most diverse cities. It's a global city. It's uh, in the top 20 global cities in terms of raw influence in the world. But the crazy thing, I did some research on it a few years ago. I found that Boston, and this would include greater Boston and the area that we're in, that the the, the Boston area exerts a disproportionate global influence for its size. So if you, uh, Boston is like the 20th most influential city in the world globally. Uh, And and the number one city is what? Any guesses? New York. Yes, New York. Everybody, all the New Yorkers uh, know that, right? Uh, And and we respect that. It's it's a nice city to go visit down the road. Um, But... And it's number one in the world. But did you know if you took Boston's population and extrapolated it out so it was the size of New York, Boston's global influence would be six and a half times the size of New York's influence? Which means this. Each person in the city of Boston exerts six and a half times the influence of a New Yorker. Yeah. We beat them, right? It's our little secret. Um... But what does this mean for us? This means that one person in the city of Boston becoming a follower of Jesus influences the world more than one believer or even six believers in, in New York. And I, and I can tell you, and I'm sure Cody's shared in some ways, uh, Pastor Cody, that, that God is doing some crazy things around the city and planting, like um, just in terms of bringing churches and revitalizing churches and seeing awesome churches like South Shore step into this mission more. I remember meeting with your, your, your former pastor and some of your elders about a few years ago about just church planting and you guys stepping in and getting involved in that. i so excited to hear ways that you're doing that even now. Um, I love that. This is the program. So Jesus would say, get with the program. Um, now, what are the problems? And I love this because we can get idealistic about the mission. I admit that I a little bit was when we moved I was. I was idealistic about, about oh, we're going to go leverage the rest of our lives in Boston, plant a church that plants other churches around the city. We're going to see, see Jesus' name made big in the city. And I, we ran into some problems along the way. Um, but, but they had problems here. So if you, if you look in, in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit's poured out, or sorry, Acts 1, um, where, where, the, where uh, Jesus predicts the Holy Spirit being poured out, there's two major problems here. One is what I would call being in the family, but not on the mission. In the family, but not on the mission. Where do I see this? Well, the disciples, it's, it's funny, when they, when they meet Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, uh, they, the first thing they said is, are, are you, in verse 6, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Because you know in his lifetime they misunderstood him. They thought he was going to be a Davidic king, going to come in and rule and throw off Roman reign and set up his kingdom. And and you gotta admit, if you had endured that, he had died and risen from the grave, and he's now risen, you're like, okay, let's do it now, like right now, like the risen Jesus, like you've got the power, you've you know, like certainly, and and but, but Jesus dispels that. Um and and he goes, uh it's it's not at this time, not not now, it's not for you to know. And then he, he gives them the mission, you'll be my witnesses, um, and then he ascends into heaven, and what did the disciples do? Is he gonna come back now what about now <laughs> they wanted the kingdom now the, the, the thing is i don't think that's evil i don't think it's evil to want the kingdom i'd love jesus to come back right now it'd be great i'm hungry and i won't be you know new heavens new earth banquet you know eat a big meal it'll be great i would love jesus to come back but but i'm not in that in that process i'm also saying i don't want anyone else to know jesus I don't want any of the people that are far from him right now to come near to him. And the disciples were like, "Let's let's 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 wrap this thing up," which was great for them, but it was terrible for the people who had not heard. And Jesus didn't let him stay there; he had to send an angel. So you go like, "Hey guys, like, got to move on now. Got nothing to see here anymore. He's not coming. He'll come back, but don't worry. It's not today or tomorrow. You just go do what he told you to do." So we can do that. We can get caught up being in the family but not on the mission. And then there, you can argue that there's a power source problem here. There's an there's a issue with, with, with power. The, the disciples, um, Jesus actually tells them on several occasions in the Gospels and in the beginning of Acts, make sure you're in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go beyond Jerusalem. Don't, don't, don't travel. Don't get out of town. Don't go take, do the mission yet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit needed to come. You, you, you can't carry out this mission without the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying, I will be with you in the power to carry out the mission. And the problem with you and I is that when we try to carry out the mission without the Holy Spirit, without really resting in and seeking to be filled by the Spirit, then we feel weak, we feel tired, we feel discouraged, we don't feel like any fruit is happening. Instead of trusting the Spirit and walking in that. Listen, mission is as much of an act of faith as believing the gospel because you are believing what Christ has called you to do and that he has the power has given you the power to do it there's some other obstacles we we feel today I think I hear the I'm not there yet I'm not there yet I need, well, I, you know, I'm in this busy season at work and as soon as I finish that or, you know, I'm, uh, when I graduate or, you know, I'm getting ready to get married in a few months or we're going to have kids or my kids are going to leave finally uh, or whatever and you're like, well, we'll just, we'll kind of step into it after that. I really want to set aside some time then to be on mission and you know what you're doing in the process of that? You're doubting that Jesus has you where you are right now. And you're viewing the mission as something you do and not who you are. You are on mission right now. You just may not be doing a very good job at it. And so Jesus would have you to understand he has you where you are. And we don't minister out of our strengths. We minister out of our weaknesses. The other one is I have insecurities. I need to be liked, right? It's it's that high school mentality that none of us want to admit anymore. We're grown-ups, or adults, but we still want to be cool. We don't want that neighbor who's super smart to think we're dumb. Like we believe, like they're going to, you know when you cross that line, when you tell them that you're a Christian, they're going to think your IQ just dropped 15 points. Basically as if a, your friend looked at you and said, I believe in fairies. And their IQ just dropped and your, you, you know that that's going to happen. But we got to get over that. We got to get over the idea of ever being cool. Christians have never been cool. Okay, we're not. We're—I mean, even Paul says you're a bunch of losers. It's not many wise that Jesus that Jesus has chosen. Which means in the room this size, there's a few that are smart, but the rest of us we're just not. You know, we're we're average, and that's okay. The third one is I secretly doubt Jesus. I doubt Jesus can save the people around me. Some of you have that, friend. You're like, their head is, you know? And they seem so resolute in their beliefs or non-beliefs. But you're doubting that Jesus can overcome that. Didn't he save you? Didn't he save the apostle Paul? We need to go forth in faith. If it's not by faith, then, then what is it? And the last one that's so hard for me at times, and I, and I see this in my own life, is, is I get an indifference in my heart to those who are far from Jesus. It's not that I want to. It's that my life gets so busy. Is anybody else's life busy? Mine's a little busy. You know, family, work, things going on, lots of just stuff, period. And I, and I stop thinking about the mission because I'm so focused on the stuff. And forget that that's part of my identity and Jesus wants me to do the mission while I'm doing the stuff. All of this had an impact on why my family came to Boston. When we moved, it was the fall of 2008, and I, was, I, I gave up a steady paycheck to become a self-supported fundraiser. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible time to do that. Um, and I probably would not have done it if I'd known what was going to happen <laughs> because um, yeah, our, our family just had a really hard time for about a year and a half until I was able to raise enough funds to pay our bills. Um, and so, you know, looking back, though, um, we, we moved to Boston for the rest of our lives. I've, I've actually told some people this recently, just saying, like, I'm, I'm here. There's literally not a church in this country that could recruit me. I don't care how big, how much money, how uh, great opportunity— I love what I'm doing. I love being in the middle of Jesus' mission and being a part of this. Um, and, and, and I think we're supposed to. I'm not saying it's all fun and games, but but having that sense of being a part of the mission and owning it. Um, I joked when I moved up, we moved up here, I said, they, I hope they stick me in the cold, hard ground up here someday. Um, I, 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 uh, my kids are Bostonians now. They, they hardly remember Kentucky. Um, and so this is, this is my people. And I long to see a lot of people who drop their R's worship Jesus. <laughs> I do. It's going to be beautiful. Just like he loves to hear an Indian accent singing the praises of Jesus, Jesus loves to hear, uh, uh, would love to hear a Boston accent worshiping his name. Let me give you a practical, uh, couple of practical steps, three practical steps, and we'll pray and close. Uh, the first is, oh, the first one is be a part of the missions conference. Like, like step into this this week. Here's the thing I would challenge you. Some of you automatically dismissed some of the opportunities this week without even stopping and praying and asking Jesus whether you should be a part of it. You just thought, well, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. Oh, that doesn't look that interesting. I won't be a part of that. I would ask you to really pray right now and this week, even as you go into this... Uh, the next session in the fellowship hall. Pray about what Jesus would have you step into this week. Open your ears, open your eyes, open your heart to hear. Um, and, and build off of that. Secondly, pray. Pray seriously for your non-Christian friend. We challenged our church uh, a year ago, uh, beginning of 2017, to pray for one person. I know it can be overwhelming to pray for all your non-Christian friends, but pray for that one person, let God direct you to them, and then just commit every single day to pray for them. Like every day? Yeah. You eat every day, right? You brush your teeth every day. We do lots of things every day. You can take 30 seconds every day and pray for them if you remind yourself and create a habit out of that. Secondly, take a step to serve. Take a step to serve those around you. Serve in the areas that the church emphasizes, but also find, play, find opportunities for yourself. One of our values as a church that we're, our distinctives that we're, we're encouraging is missional innovation. That's a really big term for the idea of, we like creative ideas to reach our neighbors. Like, the gospel is what reaches people ultimately, but, but tilling the soil and things like that requires some, some innovation. So when we moved into our house, uh, we bought a house a couple of years ago, three years ago in, in West Roxbury, and, and when we moved in, we threw a party on Memorial Day, invited all of our neighbors on the street. Uh, we had, I don't know, 15... Twenty people came. They, uh, it was so crazy because some of them had said, yeah, we, lo- we love this. This is amazing. So awesome. Thank you for having this. And then one of the neighbors was like, yeah, I've lived on the street for 35 years. No one's ever done this. Yeah, it was. I was like, that wasn't hard. You could throw a party, right? You can bake cookies. You can have a Super Bowl party when the Patriots play, right? You can have it at your house. Just, just begin bridging those relationships, Invite your coworker that you're reaching out to, and don't, you know, don't, don't have the gospel tracks under everybody's plate when they, you know, they lift their plate and it's like, oh, what's this? You know, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean you have to wear your Christian t-shirts when they come over or have your Bible conspicuously on the kitchen table. Like, it's, it's not a, about that. Listen, I think in some ways those, those little efforts are, are like trying to trick people into becoming Christians. Listen, you develop a relationship with them, and then you look at them one day and say, you know what, I don't think I've ever told you about the most important thing in my life. Can I tell you about that? What are they going to look at you? No, I don't want to hear that. No, you're their friend. Like, of course they want to hear it. You don't do it in a pushy way, but share it with them. So, so pray about that. Talk to your wife and your uh, husband, your, your friends, about how to serve your neighbors together. And then I would say finally here, be a part of a journey. Re- recognize that you're on a journey with people. I came from the, uh, what, what we'd all, almost describe as the um, Wild West evangelistic uh, culture in the South, you know, where the gunslinger pulls out and, phew, Christian, you know, phew, Christian, you know, and, and, we, and that, that would be awesome. That doesn't ex- I don't even think that exists anymore unless, I mean, it, God does it sometimes, okay, but, but seriously, you've got to be willing to walk with people. Tim Keller talks about this in New York. He, said, he described it as a series of mini-MINI decisions that people make. And the first one is, you may be the first reasonably intelligent, generally healthy Christian they've ever met. And so the first, first thing to do, he said, in your relationship is find a way to share that you're a Christian. Well, here's the easy way to do that after new new job new employee whatever you ask what'd you do what'd you do this weekend they say well i did blah 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 what are they going to do what'd you do well you kind of say yeah we hung out with the family on saturday went to church on sunday and uh then just you know watched a movie sunday night or watched the game sunday so that you just drop that little bitty hint and now they're looking at you and then you you're not perfect but you're just simply living this out, and they go, "You know what? She is a really reasonable person to be a Christian. She's not judgmental or mean spirited. She doesn't wear a Trump T-shirt. She doesn't like." <laughs> I'm I'm serious. Sometimes just undoing the misconceptions of what a Christian is is the first step towards mission with them. So how can you do that? I'm going to close in prayer. Um, And ask God to bless this conference for you. I'm excited for you. Um, I'm excited to be in this city with you. I love that this church is here on the South Shore. Um, And I I hope that a year from now, you guys have dozens and dozens of new believers in this church uh, because this mission conference was a spark for you. So let's pray for that. Jesus, we're so grateful um, that you came for us, that you gave up your comfort, you gave up your 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 presence with the eternal father in heaven and came down taking on the form of a man living among us to lay down your life for us I pray father for um, each of us that we would take this mission seriously because um, it is part of who we are as um, as co-heirs with Christ we are on his mission on your mission and so help us Help us to have your eyes as we go about our day tomorrow, as we see our neighbors and co-workers and friends. Help us to pray for them. And I pray that this conference would be a great spark in the life of this church, God, that they wouldn't even be able to to get everyone in this room next year at this time because you have poured out your spirit, Lord, and so many have met Jesus. Uh, Lord, bless this church um, and bless all of the gospel-believing churches around this city for your namesake and for the sake of Boston, we pray. Amen.